My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Recently, Mary Beth and uh, our boys went uh, out looking for some blueberries, went to a friend's house. They have a farm and uh, harvested a bunch of blueberries. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I love blueberries. And every morning I have a half a cup of oatmeal and a half a cup of blueberries. That's just like my routine. I get up in the morning. This morning it was just about four o'clock. I woke up. So went out there, got the coffee going, got the, the oatmeal going, and I pulled out the blueberries. Now, after my wife did this, I reached into the freezer and I noticed that there was a clear package of some fresh blueberries. Normally, you know, I open up something from Fred Meyer or Safeway or some Winco or something like that, and those are good. But I dumped the blueberries on, and as I'm sitting there, I'm starting to read my Bible on my computer to do the one year Bible, and I take a bite and I stopped. It was amazing. They were fresh blueberries. You know the taste, the flavor? I mean, I'm kind of used to the stale. You ever open a can of something, you eat it, and then you eat the real ones, you're like, wow, this is awesome. Uh, Seth and I, my youngest, we went down to Portland uh, on Friday night. We did a father-son overnighter, and he's a foodie, and so we did a few things. We took our longboards down there and got to skateboard around a little bit on the waterfront, and we went to Kells Irish Pub. Anybody been to Kells? It's amazing. Now, my wife, my mom, they make corned beef and cabbage, and that's great, and I love them, but come on. Kells, have you ever been there? It's so good. So he looked at the menu. He goes, there's all these options. I go, yeah, but there's nothing like corned beef and cabbage with a little mustard sauce from Kells. And we got it. We sat there, and it was just like this explosion of flavor in our mouth. It was amazing. The next morning, I took him to Mother's Bistro. And he likes food. What can I say? And we had these amazing omelets and this food. It was just like so much. But you know what something tastes like when it's just fresh, right? There's a flavor that we often miss in our fast food culture and society. I think the same is true with words. We will use words. We will speak about words. We'll open the Bible and see words. And I think we miss the raw flavor, the essence of what God is saying for us. I want to give you a couple examples, and then we're going to do this for our sermon today. Back when I was in college, 
couple years out of high school, I was studying the book of Philippians, and I ended up going back to my church in Petaluma, California, and I did some youth group, I did internship, and I taught the students through the book of Philippians. I was struck by this word that the Apostle Paul used, and it stuck with me for years. Take a look at this in Philippians 3, 10 to 11. I want to know Christ. Now, of all the people on the planet, don't you think Paul knew Christ? I mean, I, I read that, I thought, something's going on here. He obviously knows Christ. But he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Well, I started to become a word nerd, and I wanted to geek out on what these words mean, because I know they mean something that's got a much more flavorful impact if I could study him in the original language. Now, there's a couple words for the word no in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And one is the word oida, which is like a knowledge of fact. You know something to be true. It's a fact. It's a yes or no. Paul did not use that word. He didn't want to know about Christ. That's kind of like a head knowledge. He said, I want to experience Christ. I want to have a gnosko, a, a, a knowledge that comes by a relationship that comes over and over. It's kind of a heart knowledge. And he says, I want to experience Christ Day by day. I want to grow so close to him. Now, if you study how the New Testament at the time of Christ was, you know, not written yet, but the Old Testament had been converted into Greek and translated called the Septuagint, they use this word to describe the word that often shows up in the Bible that is the word for like sexual intimacy. And, and it's like when Adam knew Eve, you know what I'm talking about? When You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so they use this word. It's a word of intimacy, of a depth of a relationship. If you've ever been in a friendship or relationship with someone for many, many years, you know that you can grow stale in that relationship or you can grow deep in that relationship. And, and Paul said, I want to grow deep in my intimacy with Christ. Uh, another way to express this is something that's very common. People know that there are varying words in the Greek language for the word love. And there's this great passage in John at the end. It talks about Peter and, and Jesus using the word love. But there are actually four words in the Greek language for love. Uh, and uh, storge does not show up in the New Testament, but it is like a family love. Philia, which is a friendship love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Then there's eros, which is an erotic, romantic kind of love. That's kind of the only love the world knows today and talks about. And there's an agape, which is an unconditional love. It's a self-sacrificing. It's a serving love. It's a giving love. And so when we use the word love today, I don't know what it means, right? My friend Dee, uh, he's a pastor down in Jefferson. He would talk about this for years. He goes, I love ice cream because he's an old dairy farmer, so you have to. You know, so I love ice cream. But do I love ice cream the same way I love my wife or that I love God? See, our words just lose flavor. They're kind of bland. But in the original language of Greek and Hebrew, in the Old Testament Hebrew, the words have incredible explosive flavor to them. And if we could get an idea of this, if we could do a little bit of study on a word, I think we will have a greater depth of understanding of what God is saying to you and to me. Um, I think the word worship is like that. You know, we use a lot of words in church, and worship is one of them. This is a worship service. We have a worship team. We just had two songs of worship. But what does that mean, right? One of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. You know this, you know this inconceivable. Zinni's like, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. And Inigo Montoya, in a beautiful moment, he says it this way. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> worship. I do not think it means what you think it means. 
I want to see what the Bible thinks it means, says it means. And I want to study it today by taking a look at it. Because some of us, we think about worship as singing. Oh, I'm listening to worship music. What is that? It's a category, right? It's a style. It's kind of like country western or rap or hip hop or something like that, right? It's a style of music. It's a category. Or I'm going to a worship service. It's a thing. It's a place. It's a time. It's a gathering. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe, maybe it's something that you do. Maybe you're part of the church. I know my church when I was young, you had to be quiet when you enter the worship service because it's a worshipful time. Shh, people are worshiping. And then you go to other churches, you know, and they just like blast it out. It's like a concert and people are jumping up and down and waving their hands. You're like, that's not worship. Worship is quiet. And people are like, what are you talking about? You've never worshiped like us. And there's a worship war, right? And they went on in the church for years. What is worship? Is it emotion? Is it quiet? Is it loud? Is it physical? Is it just an internal thing? Is it, is it purely mental? Is it emotional? You know, what do you do when you think about worship? How do you express worship? What is worship to you? Well, I want to show you what worship was to the Hebrew people, the, the people that live the Old Testament, that experience and express worship. And I want to do it by using this as a big idea, and it's simply this, is that worship is a verb. Worship is an action. It is an entering into and enjoying the presence of God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body, your strength. Your heart, obviously, your emotions. You want to be engaged when you sing worship songs, right? Or you enter into a worship service, right? A worship gathering. Or you are worshiping God. Maybe on your own. Maybe in a car. Maybe here at church. But you're worshiping with your heart. That makes sense. Your soul. Your mind. Well, are you understanding the words? Are you singing good words? Are they quality words? Are they reflective of the theology of the Bible? Or are they just emotional songs about walking on water or something like that? I'm not sure. Ocean and stuff um that I like that song too uh, but body body I mean I come from a church background that you just like this is worship you stand there you hold a hymn book that's about all you do you know now there's one person that raises his hands and it was the worship leader that kind of raising hands was okay because he went like this <laughs> eh, cool that's four four right there we don't do that Jake do you ever do that when you lead worship it's kind of hard to play guitar when you do this, right? Thank you. Okay, so what is worship? I don't think it means what we think it means. In fact, I know it doesn't mean what most of us think it means. And I want to go on a journey of using this morning's opportunity to kind of look back at some of our words, mostly in the book of Psalms, some other Old Testament historical passages. But I want us to see seven words that were used for worship, for praise, for thanks, for blessing. They translate a lot of different ways in English. But if we could like peel open that fresh bag of blueberries and just take a pop, just pop one in our mouth, it'll explode with flavor. I think your worship will be just a little bit different. And so I need your help though, because we're going to participate, okay? So I know some of you are like, I knew this was a wrong weekend to come to church. We should have gone camping. Okay, so the first word for worship is the word halal. And I need you to say it. And I even kind of put a pronunciation guide there. How easy is that? And if you got one of the sermon notes, great. If you're walk, watching online, you can download them. But halal. So say with me, halal. Now, did you like phlegm up on your neighbor or the person in front of you? Then you didn't say the word. Okay, so let's say it again. Halal. Okay, that's close. For a bunch of white people, you're okay. All right, so halal. Okay, it's this expressive understanding to shout. Oh, that would be interesting. When was the last time you came in church and shouted? 
You know, if, if, if you've got kids, you, you know what shouting's all about, right? They're shouting, you're shouting, right? You shout to be quiet. It's like, that's kind of funny. You know, mom's shouting so we can be quiet. Why isn't she quiet? You know what I mean? But shouting. When was the last time you shouted to the Lord? In fact, why don't you say the word halal, shouting. Ready? Halal. See, that's so much better than the nine o'clock service. You guys are awake. I love it. To boast, to praise, to shine, to rave. Ooh, to rave, all right? To celebrate, I love this, to be clamorously foolish. Ooh, that sounds embarrassing, right? I don't want to be clamorously foolish. That's what the word means. To have so much joy in your heart that you are just like an unfettered child just shouting and dancing before the Lord. It's a really cool word. And this is where our word, oh, what does it sound like? Hallel. Hallelujah comes from. Take a look at this first passage uh, from the uh, Psalm, Psalm 149. Halal, praise the Lord, Yah. Okay, so this is where we get praise the Lord. It just means hallelujah, right? You just learned some Hebrew right there. That's awesome. Hallelujah is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, halal, Yah. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your king. Halal his name with, oh my goodness, dancing. We left our Baptist Bibles somewhere else. Dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. You know, the end of the book of Psalms, the last couple chapters especially, I never heard those preached in my church. Because you don't dare dance, right? And you don't go bowling, you don't play cards, and you don't see movies, that's for sure. Oh, God forbid you watch a movie, you know. But to dance, to shout, to rave, to clamorously be foolish before God, that sounds awesome. But I got to be honest, it sounds kind of scary, right? Because what if somebody sees me? I might be embarrassed. Well, it'd be clamorously foolish, like a little child. They don't really care, right? So halal is this beautiful expression of worshiping the Lord. 330 times. This is the second most used word in the Hebrew Bible for worship or praise. And it's the association really of all the Israelite worshipers gathered, led by the Levites, the worshipers, the worship leaders, the priestly line, as they would gather thousands of people together in a tabernacle or temple, and they would worship together and they would shout to the Lord. Here's another passage in Psalm 148. It says, Halal the Lord, Yah. Halal the Lord from the heavens. Halal him from the skies. Halal him all his angels. Halal him all the armies of heaven. Halal him sun and moon. Halal him all you twinkling stars. Halal him skies above. Halal him vapors high above the clouds. You know what he's saying? We have a creator God who did all of that. Why don't we shout to him our praises, our exuberant worship, be a little clamorously foolish, right? And rave a little bit on our God. He says, let every created thing halal, give halal to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. This is a great word and, and a reflexive use of it. it is, it's also used to people that are kind of boasting about their worship of God or again, foolishly acting before. I can remember David, great picture of this, when the temple come, or the, uh, the ark comes in and uh, the city and he's dancing and uh, his, his wife, Michal, she's not very excited about the fact that he took off his outer robe and he she gets, you know, in this chiding mo moment and she says, oh, you were very undignified in there and how foolish you were dancing before the young ladies. And what David's response is, hey, I'll be even more undignified than this if it means I worship the Lord, right? 
You know, he wasn't so straight-laced, right? David was a worshiper, and he was willing to physically allow his body to worship the Lord. C.S. Lewis said it this way in his uh, book on the Psalms, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Now, I give you permission this week to wait till everybody's gone from your home and turn on worship music. Okay, David Crowder would be a good suggestion. You know what I mean? And just crank it up really loud. Your cats or dog will run away. That's fine because you're going to dance. You're going to dance. And if you have a ring device, turn it off. You know, don't let anybody see it. And just dance before the Lord, right? Sounds kind of silly, right? Why would we do that? Well, we do that in other places, right? We actually go to dances. And we use our physical body to express something. Well, in the Bible, they did that to worship the Lord. Uh, the second word we want to see is the word yada. And uh, in fact, you can say with me, yada. You don't have to spit for that one. That's okay. Yada. Uh, it means to revere or worship with extended hands. Hello. Extended hands to hold out the hands like throwing a stone or an arrow. So no one is watching you right now. The camera is on me alone. Would you all just raise your hands in extended worship? Excellent. You got one up there, on. You got to put both of them up. There we go. Like a roller coaster ride, right? Well, isn't that what we do? I mean, we raise our hands up. It's not abnormal for us to raise up our hands. We shout with excitement, right? That's what we do. Uh, it shows up 114 times in the Bible. Here's one, Psalm 44, 8. Oh God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly yada your name. We lift up our hands to your name. It's beautiful. We do this with excitement, right? We do this with wonder. We do this in awe. We raise up our hands. Um, I remember uh, we were down at uh, Magic Mountain many years ago. Our boys were little, and we're walking in, and my, our youngest son, Seth, who's taller than me now, uh, he was just little, maybe six years old, and he looked up at the X2 roller coaster, and he said, I'm going to ride that even if it makes me cry. <laughs> and we did, and and we all did, with joy, tears streaming down our face. It was the most chaotic, scary thing ever, ever, I've ever been on a roller coaster. But you're raising your hands up and you're screaming, right? If you could do that in a stupid roller coaster, why can't you do it with God, right? Or, or maybe, you know, maybe you watched a game yesterday. And it wasn't the Ducks game. It was the Beaver game, right? <laughs> when Seth and I were down in Portland, uh, we were walking and he goes, Dad, why are these people all wearing bright blue and orange? And I said, it's a cult. It's called Boise State. And, um, <laughs> and um, they'll be in mourning in a day. And, and, um, but, um, right, we go to football games. I guarantee you, we raise our hands. We jump up, we scream, we shout. Some people even paint their bodies or faces, right? We express it. With our physical bodies, we shout, right? Regardless of culture or language or color of skin or country of origin, I mean, when we experience joy, we do the wave, right? <laughs> if you're a Seahawks fan, I don't think there are any left. Um, you raise, sorry. I just read they're going to be the worst team this year. I only have hope because I'm a Raider fan. So at least, you know, I won't be that bad, <laughs> okay? Thanksgiving weekend. That's, oh no, Raiders and Seahawks. That's where I'll be, I hope. Um, here's the deal. We raise our hands, right? What is it, what is it when you watch European football? What, what, what do they do when they kick a goal? What do they do? Everybody, goal! And then they run around like crazy. Okay? Well, do we ever just raise our hands? God, 
I know it sounds really stupid, right? Why? Why does it sound stupid? Is there anything worth more in the world than God? Is there anything worth more getting excited about than God? Because he did something, he showed up, he revealed something to you. This is what we do. We yada, we extend the hands. Here is, um, it translated as the word thanks in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 1. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give yada. Thanks. Raise your hands in thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. If the Bible's real, and I'm, I'm banking everything on it, uh, everything on it, um, then we're going to spend eternity yadaing the Lord, halaling the Lord. Why would we not want to just do it more and practice more, right? Reformer John Calvin, who we often maybe think is uptight, said it this way, but just as the lifting of the hands is a symbol of confidence and longing, so in order to show our humility, we fall down on our knees. There's a physicality, even the reformer had a physicality. We lift up our hands, we fall down before God. The word toda is the third word. Uh, let's get it there. Why don't you say it with me? Toda, toda. It's an extension of the hands and thanks. Giving for what God has done a sacrifice of praise for things not yet received. This is a little bit different than what we just saw. It's the idea that we lift out our hands in a hopeful, thankful expectation. Kind of like a child. I love going to the kids' ministry area, seeing these little kids. I pop my head over to say hi, and these little kids will raise their hand up. I'm like, sorry, I'm not your dad. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't have the tag. But it's so great when a child just raises their hands in hopeful expectation, right? Here's an example. In Psalm 42, 4. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving todah amid the sound of a great celebration. Here the psalmist is remembering the past and how he used to give thanks to God, but he's, he's seeing it as a promise now that it will happen. He's communicating to God what will happen. Psalm 56 is a classic example. Here David is um, captured by the Philistines. And if you rewind the tape a little bit, you know that David was a young man and killed the Philistine giant, Goliath, their warrior, their, you know, just their amazing guy. And he took him down and uh, cut off his head and held his hand up and got the sword. It's a great kid's story to read at night. It's awesome. And, um, and now he's captured by the Philistines years later. And he is not afraid. Listen to these words. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Well, you know, you're obviously not a worrywart, David, because let me tell you what the Philistines could and should do to you, right? They should pick you apart limb by limb, right? Peel your fingernails off. To, in, to illustrate that you killed our great guy, we're going to kill you. We're going to lop your head off, right? Why, why should I be afraid of what mere mortals can do to me. I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and I will offer a sacrifice of todah, of thanks, in advance for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. So David affirmed in the middle of the, the chaos, right, in the middle of the darkness, that God was going to show up in his light. In fact, that's a really good way to think about this word, todah. It's like praising God in the darkness before the light shows up, knowing that the light will show up. I mean, think about that in our lives right now. Um, I've got a dear friend that, 
you know, he's, he's in the hospital right now. My wife and I are going to go visit him right afterwards because his cancer is at stage four. How do you praise God in advance for what he's going to do? Some of you, that's your marriage, right? You're in the dark right now. Or you're single, you've been married, you've been divorced, you, maybe a couple times, and, and you're wanting wholeness, relationship, and, and you're in the dark. Some of your kids are, I mean, there's chaos at work, you know, finances, you name it, right? Inflation, chaos, we're in the darkness. But it's praising God in the darkness, knowing that he is the light and he is coming. That's Torah, that is thankfulness. Tozer said it this way, true worship is pleasing. True worship that is pleasing to God creates within the human heart a spirit of expectation and insatiable longing. That's faith. Uh, number four, the word um, Shabbat, and, and this sounds like a Star Wars card game, but it's not. Shabbat, um, say it with me. Shabbat, okay. Uh, to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command glory and triumph. This is, again, celebrating a triumph of God. Here it is in Psalm 117. Now, first of all, it says halal. So we know that word, the Lord or Yah. So halal the Lord, all you nations. Shabbat him. This is interesting. Who's supposed to do this? All you people of the earth. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Halal the Lord, Yah. What he's saying here is that in, in my vernacular, our worship should be a gospel testimony. That we should be able to worship God amongst the nations and the nations should see our worship. The people should see our worship and see that our God is real by the way we worship him. <laughs> a little reality check here. If people were to watch your worship, would they know God is real? Would they know God is real by the way you worship with such abandon and praise? You're shouting in uh, Psalm 145, let each generation shabak its children of your mighty acts. Tell, proclaim, display your glory, shout of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. So not only is this a great gospel word, this is a great gospel word from generation to generation. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, when was the last time you just sat down and told the younger generation about all the glorious things God has done? I'll never, ever forget my entire life, the time when I was a youth pastor in Boise, and I drove down to Richmond, California with a small group, youth group. We went down there, and we met Malcolm Lee. Malcolm and Joe, my father-in-law, mother-in-law now, but not then, didn't even know him. And he walked us around the rescue mission, and for hours, giving us a tour of 200 McDonald in Richmond, California, he shabbat of the glory of God. He told story after story after story of how they were broke, how they were busted, how a fire came through, how they were going to be shut down, how they had no money. And God showed up over and over and over and over again. And I went back and I wept because I didn't do that. I didn't even know how to do that. Thankfully, he's now my father-in-law and he teaches me. <laughs> but the fact is, is that when's the last time you told the next generation about the glory of God and the greatness of God? Uh, here's, here's the fifth word, and it's, it's Barak. Uh, we saw this a couple weeks ago, but say it with me. Barak. Maybe a little more emphasis on the K. Ready? Barak. There you go. Good. To kneel, to adore, to praise, bending of the knee. We saw that a couple weeks ago when we took a look at this. It means to bow before God. As I said, the big idea that time was if you're not bowing, you're not worshiping, because it literally means to humble yourself 
and to lay down, to kneel down, to go prostrate before the Lord. It's an expressive act of humility when you recognize someone is greater than you. Maybe by title, maybe by degree, maybe just because that person is an authority over you, but in the Bible times, it was used of thousands of worshipers falling down before the Lord when they would see the presence of God. What other response could you have when you saw the presence of the Lord? Here's a couple passages for it. Psalm 95, six to seven. This is a very classic one because it works out really well. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us barak before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over the flock under his care. I don't know when you kneel, when you pray, when you worship at home, I don't know, but this is falling down before the Lord. When's the last time you had a meaningful expression of kneeling before God? Here's one in 1 Chronicles 29, 20. I love this. Then David said to the whole assembly, give Barak to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly Barak to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they, here it is, bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. You know, every Christmas, we sing this song called O Holy Night. Do you remember how it goes? It goes in the chorus, fall on your knees, right? Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine, oh, night divine. In all my life, I'm 57 years old, I have never seen people fall down when they sing that. We are like the biggest liars. <laughs> I, I love when we sing songs about standing up in the presence of God and we sit down. I'm like, what are you standing on the inside? You know, you're a little rebellious child. You can make me sit down on the outside, but I want to stand up on the inside, no? When we sing songs about lifting up our hands to the Lord, and we're like this. I'm like, well, don't sing it if you're not going to do it, right? When we fall down, I know this puts many of us out of our comfort zone. I totally get this. Lifting up hands, outstretched arms, shouting to the Lord, dancing before the Lord, moving before the Lord, even moving, right, before the Lord, and then bowing before the Lord. But this is what worshipers have done for thousands and thousands of years. The sixth word, zamar. So say this word with me, zamar. Zamar, good. It means to make music by plucking the strings of an instrument, to sing and celebrate in song and music. Not all of you can do this. Some of you can't even carry a tune in a bucket. You don't even know where the bucket is. I understand that, okay? Some people go, can I put a bucket on you when you do that? No, I, I get it. But the idea is a very specific word for the instrumentalist musicians of the Hebrew people. David was one of them to play on a harp or a lyre. Today, it would be the equivalent of like a guitar or piano, a stringed instrument. I'm pretty sure that if you want to play kazoo to the Lord, somehow it translates, okay? But the idea is playing an instrument, a musical instrument, and worshiping the Lord with it. Here are a couple examples. Psalm 144. I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will zamar your praises with a ten-stringed harp. Psalm 50. Wake up my heart. It's a good morning verse. Wake up my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among the people. I will sing your zamar among the nations. The basic idea is that music has a powerful influence on us. And if you play an instrument, you know that that can just overtake you. It's so beautiful. And it's just the expression of like writing a song to God, crafting a song to God, using the instrument that's in your hands to worship a holy God. Isn't that amazing? For me, it's guitar or something like that. Maybe for you, it's piano or something else. That's great. But using your physicality to express a song that worship is cre worships creator God. 
uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote this, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It's one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. Have you ever been in a service, a worship service, or maybe alone in your car or somewhere, and you're worshiping along with other people, and it's just like, it changes you. It changes you. That is this idea of Zamar. And finally, the last word, number seven, it's tell halal, and it's halal, but it's specific. It's a congregation doing it. It's, it's many people doing it. A song of praise, a hymn, a new song, a spontaneous song. Uh, and the basic idea here is that you can halal alone. If you're watching, you can, but you cannot tell halal unless you're in a group of people. You've got to be in the congregation, God's church, to do that. Here are three passages, Psalm 22, 3. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the Telhalal of Israel. Psalm 66, 1 to 2. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth sing or tell halal about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with tell halal. Give thanks to him and praise his name. When we sing a new praise song to God, this is so weird. This is what the Bible says. He inhabits the praise of his people. Isn't that really weird? That when we worship, and we worship with spirit and truth, we enter into the presence of God, and God is enthroned. He inhabits the praise of his people. One of the prophets even says that God sings over us. There's a beautiful mystery that happens when we worship. And if you've ever been found in such a deep need, in a dire circumstances, and you're desperate for God, and you sing out and you worship to him, and he shows up, he lives within the praises of his people, he shows up in a very real, tangible way. Now, in the Old Testament, physically, the body, I mean, you would see this cloud and fire just be crazy as the body of worshipers would come around and they would see that. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, praise is the rehearsal for our eternal song. By grace, we learn to sing and in glory, we continue to sing. Again, we'll be doing this for all eternity. Why not practice a little bit, right? I, I give you permission that nobody's going to look upon you with disdain. Please don't look upon anybody with disdain today. Just worship God, right? Don't worry about what other people think. If you're doing it honestly before the Lord, not, not to get glory for yourself, but just to express it, then you do that. I saw some people doing that earlier. And, and I don't really know what's going on, obviously, inside of people. But if, if you're happy, you should notify your face. How about that, right? Um, and if you're excited about the Lord, you might want to make some kind of expression about that because that was normal in Bible times. A couple of references that might help you. One, this is a really cool book by Chris Tomlin. He writes a lot of worship songs and uh, Darren Whitehead called Holy Roar. Um, the one I'm really excited about is The Body of Praise. It's not out yet, but I got a couple pre-release chapters. And this is a really cool, this is a scientific study of the physiological aspect of people worshiping together. It's what happens when a body of believers come together and when they're worshiping together, what happens to them physiologically? What abs absolutely happens with their heartbeat and the rhythm? It's crazy to think that when we come together as human beings, very physical, that the immaterial part of our worship to the Lord and the physical part of our worship to the Lord actually changes us. And it's a worship to God. I saw this many years ago. My wife and I, we went to a U2 concert. Went to Moda Center, 20,000 people. And um, it was uh, 
All That You Can't Leave Behind tour. It was a great album. And we went there and, and um, you know, it's just packed with people and, you know, Bono's doing his stupid Bono thing. And, you know, there's a heart there and coming out and everything. He's a great guy, but he's a little idiot sometimes. But, um, but you know, he's doing his thing and they're, they're having, they're, they're just, you know, a rock band. And, um, and then after the encore and then the next encore and the final song was 40. And I don't know if you know 40. If you don't, I don't know what you've been doing with your life because War is their best album from 1983. You should go listen to it. And the song called 40 are the words of Psalm 40. And here were 20,000 people standing, raising their hands, most of them not believers, saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing sing a new song. It moved me to think if these people only knew what they were singing, if they only got it, what would it look like for 20,000 people to gather together and sing it who truly were waiting on the Lord, worshiping God? Something happens to us when we with abandon and clamorous, foolishly like innocent little children running around, we lift up our arms to Father God. Worship is a verb, friends. It is. It means to enter into and experience this worship of God and this entering in with our heart and our soul and our mind and our body. And I just want to remind you before we go back to a worship set where we're going to sing some worship songs led by a worship leader who has a worship team behind her. So if that all makes sense. All right. Say the word halal. Halal means to shout, to boast, to celebrate foolishly. Say yada. Yada. To revere or worship with extended hands. Say toda. Torah, an extension of the hand in thanksgiving. Shabak, say Shabak. Shabak, to shout, to address in a loud tone of triumph. Number five, Barak, say Barak. To kneel, to adore, to praise, bending of the knees. Zamar, say it. Zamar, to make music by plucking the strings of an instrument. Til Halal, say it. Til Halal, a new song of praise, a spontaneous song. One that you might have just made up and nobody needs to know it but you. That's worship. Bow with me. Father, man, we just get to experience just a glimpse, a glimmer of what it means to worship you here. We're, we're so hindered and we're so held back by our own fears and insecurities, by our own desire to not be looked at foolishly, but you desire us to worship clamorously, foolishly. As little children would just lift up their heart and their hands to Father and to express the desires of our hearts to praise you, to honor you, to thank you, some in advance to thank you in the darkness waiting for your light, to play an instrument, to dance spontaneously before you, to sing words that have never been written down before, just to express our heart. You desire that kind of worship. You love us so much that you sent yourself, Jesus Christ, to come down to give his life for us, to die on a cross so that we can enter into a relationship with you and we can worship you in spirit and in truth. May that be the course of our life. One day we'll be there forever worshiping you. May we start now where we can worship you now with the table, the Lord's table, communion, with the bread and the cup where we remember what you've done for us in your love. May we come and participate in those elements of the bread representing your body and the cup representing your blood poured out to cover over our sin. And may we worship you in spirit and truth as we sing and say yes to you, God. Deliver to us what we need in this moment, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.